0: This was such a fun episode to record. I have Chris and Allison here. Chris Chapiton has been serving as assistant superintendent for Boyd ISD in Boyd, Texas since January 2020. He also invited a principal in his district, Allison Adcock, to come on with us. So it's two guests that I got to interview. So exciting. A little bit about Chris. He grew up in Farmington, Iowa, Irving & Keller, Texas, and completed an undergraduate degree in psychology at... Abilene Christian University. After a 14-year career in student and worship ministry, public speaking, and starting churches, in 2011, Chris began working for Burleson ISD in Burleson, Texas as a fourth and fifth grade math and reading special education teacher at JW Norwood Elementary School. He earned a Master of Education degree in educational leadership and policy studies from the University of Texas at Arlington, was promoted into administration in Burleson ISD where he served as academic associate principal at Centennial High School and academic associate principal and principal at STEAM Middle School. Currently, he's pursuing a doctorate in educational leadership at Texas Tech University, with an expected graduation date of May 2024. Chris is passionate about leading empowerment organizations, designing innovative instructional systems, and accomplishing both in the context of meaningful, team-oriented relationships. He has been featured on the Teach Better, Aspire Lead Teachers on Fire, and many Voices of Grit podcasts. Furthermore, he was the parody writer and voice of Burlington ISD's school year launch videos from 2016 to 2019. Alison's wife Heidi celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary on July 25th, 2022. They have five children: Tori is 21, Ryan is 15, Hudson who's 12, Ava Grace who's 10, and Sam who's seven. They live in Boyd, Texas. they are two dogs, two cats, two snakes, and one goat. That is a fun family. Thank you, Chris, for that introduction that you have shared with us. That is amazing, Allison. I'm going to share a little bit about next. Allison is headed into her ninth year in education, previously serving special populations through special education and student services. Allison is embarking on her second year in leadership as a middle school principal in Boyd, America. And she strives to bring community and culture to a campus through strategic planning, vision, and innovation. Let's get ready to hear from Chris and Allison. This certainly is an amazing guest duo. I'm educational justice coach Lindsay Lyons. And here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-creating curriculum with students, I made this show for you. Here we go. Allison and Chris, welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast.
1: Awesome, Lindsay. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Thank you for having us. Of course. So I'd first like to name that I read your professional bios, but is there anything else that you just want to share with listeners to kind of kick off the episode, get them to know a little bit about you?
1: What you got, Allison?
2: Well, I am just excited to uh, be a part of today Um, as far as getting to know me. um, I do have, um, you know, 13 years of marriage under my belt, two kiddos that are in the school system right now, and I'm just excited to be here. Thank you, Lindsay.
0: That is super impressive, Allison.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, I've got a seventh grade boy and a 10th grade boy that are doing off-season football workouts. Uh, this summer in the heat. And for some odd reason, I have allowed them to talk me into doing the same. So I have found uh, myself either on, in the weight room, uh, which has been an adventure because I'm pretty sure I was their age the last time I lifted weights, because let's be honest, weights are heavy. And uh, I've also, w- when it gets too hot, find myself on the basketball court and my knees aren't quite what they used to be. Uh, but spending time with, with uh, my three boys, because I've got an eight-year-old boy as well, And then a 21-year-old daughter working on a degree at Texas Tech to become a teacher. And a 10-year-old daughter as well. And then uh, my wife and I will celebrate uh, wedding anniversary on Monday.
0: Super impressed by your your family accomplishments here. And as a new parent myself, my my kid is turning five months on Saturday as of this recording. So I am very much looking forward to being as successful as you all are as parents. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Well, (laughs) well, my my knees and my hamstrings say otherwise.
0: (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about the amazing work that you're doing and the vision that you have for your district. So I think the, one of my favorite quotes of all educational anything is Dr. Bettina Love talking about freedom dreaming. She says their dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. And so with that context in mind, what is your big dream for your district for curriculum and instruction?
1: Um, you know, I'm going to come right back at you with a quote, Lindsay, um because I think from a district standpoint, um I could definitely answer that question. However, I'm gonna give you a quote from a a book called the superintendent's field book that says, it goes without saying that you must develop your school's principles. You will succeed or fail as a leader based on the quality of the leaders that you put in place in schools. Good schools require good principles. The role of today's principal may have changed even more than yours. And today's principal must be a hands-on leader of learning. Uh, So in light of that quote and your question, I'm going to uh, defer to Allison on that, specifically to her campus context, because she is uh, not just responsible for, but excitedly entering into vision development and casting for two schools uh, and unifying those two schools under the leadership of herself and her assistant principal. So um, Allison, how would you respond to that?
2: Yeah, so thank you, Chris. Um, So like he kind of said, we are rolling into next year with two campuses, our intermediate and middle school campus. Um, Obviously we have our district standpoint for what curriculum instruction means, but I think as a new principal and setting some foundation work for our, our campuses here, Curriculum instruction is going to be a massive undertaking. Um, We've done some really good work with um, Mr. Chapton and his crew the last couple of years, but moving forward, really curriculum instruction is going to be, at the forethought of of everything that we're doing so it's really taking our instructional coach utilizing uh, different people in different ways to create this cohesive bond of um what we can do when we have a good understanding of curriculum instruction and how our students can achieve um, when they understand what they're supposed to be doing so it's really taking that that step back looking at the big picture of um how how are we you know ensuring that our students are receiving the right curriculum instruction and how how do we know that we're teaching at the right rigor and what are we doing to fill those intervention gaps and and obviously with anything in education what what are we doing to ensure that all students are learning
1: awesome i would would say from the district standpoint i'm going into year three now in our current Mm -hmm. district and we've taken a, a vision approach of creating engaging learning so creating has really focused on critiques, learning targets, success criteria. Um, Do we we know our learning standards? Do we know the verbs in our learning standards? Do we know the actions in our learning standards? And and do we know what mastery demonstration looks like? And that was was primarily the focus across the district of year one. Uh, Along with that, our curriculum coordinators created uh, documents where, you know, they were uh, breaking teaks apart, they were showing examples of what the verb might look like, uh, showing examples of what the actions might look like, and how to design instruction that aligns to the learning standards. As we moved into year two, then we we began to focus on assessment. And So we're, we were in a context where assessing um, at the, the level of, uh, yes, the state assessment, but, but also at the level of the verbs, uh, was was a little bit of a new concept. and so we, through the curriculum coordinators created unit assessments for math and reading courses, and then utilized that to model assessment creation for uh, for teachers. So year two was really the the year of assessment, some of which was summative, some of which was formative. Now, as we enter into year three we're we're kind of I guess focusing on the middle of the sandwich and and zooming in on instruction. Mm-hmm. I can't I, I feel like I can't. Um, discuss and model instructional best practices too much until I can ensure that we're teaching at the level of the learning standard and we're assessing at the level of the learning standard or beyond um, based on student needs. And so uh, this has become the the year of the instructional best practice. So for example, the elementary school is focused on small group instruction. Uh, The high school may be more focused on um, ensuring the, the level of the learning standard and reinforcing that from like a four A four-level rubric approach. Um, But this will be where um, we're really looking to continue our support, deepen our support uh, of teachers facilitating instruction through a best practice focus, which also layers on uh, our shift into campus-based instructional coaches. So for at least for the first time in the last three years, maybe the first time in a while, um, each campus will have an instructional coach Uh, We're really looking to Jim Knight and a lot of his work on the impact cycle uh, in terms of preparing our instructional coaches. uh, And again, taking a a best practice focus where we're looking for evidence of uh, growth and implementation of those best practices. Uh, And then finally, we have a, at the district level, a director of instruction who part of her work is uh, the curriculum documents and the the reinforcement, if you will, of the last couple of years of our implementation, but then also coaching the coaches as they do their campus-based work as well.
0: Wow, there's so much you're doing. And I love that you basically just laid out like a three-year plan for someone who's just getting into this work. Like, what does that look like? So I love that you're starting with standards. I feel like we have so many standards typically, right, that are like ZCLS and NGSS and the state standards and the content and the skills and all the things. And it's like, okay, first let's get real clear on like, what are the priorities? What are the standards? I love that you move to mastering next. How do we define what this looks like when you're proficient, when you're approaching brilliant. And then I love that now you're focused on like the pedagogy, the instruction, how do we do this well? and And that the culture of coaching that you're building, having the coaches there, and then Taking time to coach the coaches and using evidence, I think, is huge. And a lot of schools will say, you know, we don't, we don't have an instructional coach, or, 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 you know, we have to leverage peer coaching. I think that idea of coach the coach um, can also be really valuable for peer coaching. And I think Chris, you had said you, would, you would had some experience, right, with supporting. I'm just thinking of, you know, the challenges that someone listening might say, well, well, I don't have those instructional coaches. You know, can you still do something like that if you don't have that coach role formally?
1: Yeah. So what I was able to do in a previous life uh, was I received executive coaching as the uh, principal of the campus. And yes, that was at the time a paid for uh, service. And I experienced a year of that. But going forward, um, I, I began to become a part of a uh, an executive coaching, if you will, that I'll share at the end of my answer to your actual question. Um, but that that executive coaching coached me in terms of how to coach teachers and develop teacher leaders that would in turn um, coach their peers. And so when the, when the emphasis was on evidence and on best practices as measured by a four-level performance indicator rubric, it was not, oh, my know-it-all teacher friend is coaching me. How great. It was, we're all in this together. This is a culture of coaching As as your teacher, leader, coach, I am being coached as well. As your principal who is coaching teacher, leader, coaches, I am being coached as well. So so this is seeking to develop a a culture of coaching. And so the way, along with what what Allison and I both mentioned in in response to your first question, um, last year and part of the year before, um, I also implemented a call it an executive coaching model where I coached. Uh, each campus principal and the athletic director um, through uh, uh, taking Franklin Covey's work with the four disciplines of execution. And so it's a, um, you know, 20, well, I get to talking as you can tell. So typically the sessions might go a little longer as Allison is like, heck yeah, they do. Uh, (laughs) But the, the concept would be 15, 20 minutes. It's focused on a wildly important goal. Uh, a from X to Y by when style goal, and then we're talking through weekly commitments that the principal uh, is making, just one is fine, two, if you, if you want to get zealous, but just one is fine, um, and we're, we're making those weekly commitments to each other, then uh, we're, we're celebrating when, when we check them off. Um, and and measuring milestone progress toward the goal. And so what we've been able to see is that executive coaching has occurred. Now we're starting to reach layers where um, the director of instruction coached a couple of teachers using that model. Uh, one of our principals coached a couple of their folks using that model. Uh, and so the point being trying to create a culture of, of coaching where we're all growing and we're all uh, in this together, serving each other for the benefit of our students. Hey,
0: everybody, just a quick reminder that your free resource for this episode with Chris and Allison is a relationship-centered learning website. There's a bunch of good stuff there. You can grab that link at lindsaybethlyons.com slash blog slash 93. Let's get back to Chris and Allison. Excellent. And Allison, as you kind of see what's happening at the school level, I want to kind of like jump back just a second too to think we, we dove right into like, you know, what can people do? I'm thinking, you know, like if we, if we're doing all this stuff, we're making all these changes district wide, you know, as the, as an individual teacher in a school um, you know, are there, are there challenges with that? Are there struggles that come up? Are there mindset shifts that need to be made that you kind of saw play out as those pretty large changes were, were taking effect?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and um, I think specific to our our district and our campuses, it looked it may look a little bit different than what you may see um, in other areas, just due to our circumstances. However, um, I jumped you know right into our WIC sessions, and um, even as a recipient of a, a WIC session from central admin down to campus level level leadership. Um, it took a lot of purposeful planning, a lot of um, a lot of intent with that um, to stay on track, to maintain those weekly meetings, to maintain my goals, and and you know really dive into if if my goal is going to change an outcome or not. Um, we can sit here and talk about um, you know. X and Y by win, but if we're not going to um, formulate a change with that, then it's kind of pointless, right? So, moving that mindset down to my teachers as um, an interim principal was um, definitely something that, uh, and Chris can kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, support me on this. It it was it was challenging because uh, we haven't had instructional coaching here. We've had instructional leaders. Our principals are obviously our instructional leaders, but we haven't had a mentorship model, and so it's something where our teachers really had to, you know, take a step back and say, okay, you're not in my room as a punitive measure. It is more of here. I'm, I'm supporting you. We are one in, in how are we going to ensure that we're getting better?
0: So our students can get better. Yeah. That's such a great point about the punitive. Cause I think a lot of times when we are in classrooms, like as leaders, when you're in, in a classroom, it becomes this punitive piece. Right. Um, I recently heard someone say, at, uh, like numerically speaking, the more that you're in the, the less that it feels punitive. Absolutely. Do you find that to be
2: true?
0: 100%. They, by the end of the
2: year, I'm sitting on the ground watching their, their lecture and, and they think nothing of it. So and the more I'm in there, the more um, our leadership is in there. It's absolutely uh, a very true statement.
0: Okay. So that's, that's a, that's a big piece. Like just make it kind of normalize it, make it common. And then is there also, I imagine there's a lot of foundation trust building. Like there's a foundation that has to be built before you can just kind of go in all of a sudden you're in the classroom all the time. Can you speak a little bit to that and what that looks like and, and how you saw teachers adjust to that?
2: Yeah. So for me, it was um, making sure that I was in every single PLC. Um, so it started at that level of, hey, I'm part of your group. Um, and then it turned into, hey, I'm part of your classroom. And then how can we plan to to build that relationship? And so um, it was very intentional. We are creating more frequent PLCs, we're creating more deliberate PLCs. And how are we turning that work into um, our vision in our classroom? And so really my teachers just really caught on with that and
0: they were accepting of that. And and that's kind of where we took off. Excellent. Chris, did you wanna jump in at all? Sorry, I directed those questions to Allison, but you are more than welcome.
1: (laughs) I I would just say two things. One, One thing I appreciate about Allison is she is high expectation and she is high support. So when you talk about uh, significant changes and and this is all happening during worldwide pandemics and um, the adjustments, you know, that that even um, rural schools are having to make. in in those regards, um, you know, she is and last year being in an interim role herself, um, setting the bar high uh, and giving the why to that, but then also walking alongside teachers and students to say, and here's how we're gonna accomplish these things together, modeling and reinforcing that as a leader. I think one of the, one of the ways that I try to, um, uh, I guess, lessen I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, lessen concern or, oh my gosh, it's the assistant superintendent on campus, like that kind of stuff, is uh, singing and dancing and being loud. um that that is my my three-pronged framework to uh to uh enjoying my visits to campus so middle school mentality um, the the first day even uh this is i i joined the district uh i think about a year before allison did my first day on what is now one of her campuses i actually got in trouble by a teacher because I was loud in the hallway and there was a, there was a test going on and I didn't know it. Um, and so the, the teacher comes to get onto me and then it's like, oh, this is an adult. And it's like, oh, wh- who, well, who is this? <laughs> Which was awesome. Uh, but, you know, whether it's um, singing songs or rapping in the hallway or high-fiving kids or uh, just, just being, being loud and jovial on purpose uh, to, you know, infuse uh, fun and excitement into the school experience. I hope that that also helps folks understand that that when when we are about the business part, uh, that you can know that my my heart is in the right place, and my heart is that you know that we're unified and that we're about continuous improvement, and that we're about the kids. Uh, so that's that, and a guitar sometimes is how. Uh, how I approach evidence-based classroom walkthroughs, et cetera.
0: That's excellent. I love it. And I think (laughs) joy is such a huge piece that's often missing from these conversations, right? Like when we think about designing even just curriculum, um, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, her, her framework, her historically responsive literacy framework, you know, she has like the four pieces that are in her book, Cultivating Genius, but then she added, like I've been watching her on Twitter and she added a fifth, which is joy. And she's like, this is often missing, right? We have to also talk about joy and we have to talk about joy from an equity lens, right? We can't always be talking about like this deficit, you know, of students and whoever we're talking about that have been historically marginalized, whether that's race, ability, language, identity, nationality, right? Like it has to be about joy. It has to be about celebration. It has to be like this balance of like critical inquiry. And also like, we're here to have fun and enjoy the experience of learning, right? Like that's so critical for kids to come back. I know at the high school level, you know, it, your parents don't drop you off. You come to school or you don't. And, and a lot of times, like my students, I remember, this is embarrassing to say out loud, but I remember one class I taught ninth grade class at Global One as my like third year of teaching, it was not engaging. And I had one student show up one day. It was just like one student out of a class, of roster of 38. And I was like, what is happening? It was just a wake-up call. Like this class is not fun. <laughs> we need we to change some things. Right. So I guess as I think about that challenge specifically as a teacher, but also so many other, you know, challenges of this work, I feel like you, you all have done so much. Is there any Anything else that you would, in terms of like giving advice to someone who's facing a challenge in doing this work, or some wisdom that you could share from your experiences over the last three years of this massive transformation that you would you would share with folks listening? Hmm.
1: That's a good question. I'm looking. I'm looking down at Allison to see if she's going to bite first. Um, <laughs> I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah, I. I think. Uh, I, I know for me. I can get very focused on the the work um, in terms of like goals I want to accomplish or tasks that need to be done. And there is this constant, this constant struggle between wanting to check all the boxes to get whatever it is, you know, the goal or the initiative done, and remembering that our work is about people. And when when I feel stressed or squeezed or low in confidence or low in competence as a leader, I tend to retreat into the tasks because that at least as it pertains to what I'm responsible for, I can mostly control that whereas when I'm when I'm in a better place in terms of my own identity and my own uh confidence and competence of the work, but also perception of myself, I find it easier to remember that the work um is is with and through, you know, people that that I enjoy working with and that I enjoy being around and that I I want to grow to accomplish more in the field uh than, than I have. And so um I think that, you know, I, I got to visit with uh, shout out to um, Vernon Wright, the right leader, the right speaker. Um, I got to visit with him, and I would definitely recommend his stuff, check him out on Twitter. But um, we had a conversation one time where we talked about um, we talked about identity kind of being the foundation of the work. And sometimes I know I get lost in thinking that the work is how I'm going to achieve identity. When identity is already something that I have or that I contain, and I can be free to work from it rather than to work for it, and so as a as a leader who's a three on the enneagram, who loves him some mountains to climb and some things to accomplish, and you know um, those kinds of things, I also have to remember that even if. Even if we're not as high up the mountain as I want to be, or I'm not as high up the mountain as I want to be, I still have to schedule time um, to be with people, to encourage people, to support people, uh, because that, whether it's adults or kids, that is um, the focus of our work.
2: Yeah, and I'll jump on to what Chris said. Um, I obviously I'm very early in my career as a leader and, um, and, and Chris can kind of back this up as well. I am very result driven. I, um, need to see that progress. And so we all know this and it's a simple concept. And um, you know, just ensure that we are, we are driven by, by data, by, um, progress in regards to what small steps are we doing? We don't have to take the whole mountain at once. We can make our, our small steps up there. So, um, you know, I, I, working on a campus that we have very high achieving um, teachers who who have 88, 90% um, passing on STAR. But we also have um, some teachers that are not performing that high. And um, how are we bridging that gap? And how are we making sure that we have um, progress it's not all going to be 90% at the end of the year, but what, what steps are we ensuring to make sure that there's progress? How are we celebrating those small steps? And so for me, it really goes back to, um, data-driven instruction, data-driven, um, just pieces of leadership. And so, um, for me really, whenever we look at actions to take is what can we celebrate along the way? Um, it's difficult for me to do sometimes, however, I know that there's, there is meaningfulness in that process. And so for me, it's really just stepping back and and taking a, a quick look at, at the small progress and celebrating that as, as we continue.
0: I love that both of your answers speak to again, like the joy and the energy and like the positivity of like, you know, either being a community, taking care of self, celebrating those wins. And I'm wondering, is there any kind of like joy or, um, success in terms of curriculum and instruction that you'd like to shout out that you've seen recently in your district or your schools that you're working in?
1: You know, for me, um, there, there's the typical responses uh, to that question, you know, like increased test scores. Um, and and there are those things to celebrate, which is phenomenal. Um, we've, got, we've got one of our schools that were, were really hopeful and, and predictive that could possibly um, basically achieve a milestone that it, it hasn't in a few years. And that's uh, a super great accomplishment. Um, at the same time, I think what what I, what I most celebrate right now is times like, so we had this meeting yesterday that Allison and I were in with a couple other colleagues. And it, w- it was a very serious meeting about very serious things. And when it was time to be serious, we were. But there was a like a contagious excitement and laughter and storytelling, um, that was vibrant and that was authentic and that was encouraging, even in the midst of a, of a difficult meeting. And it seems like those, those things are happening more and more. And I think that that is exciting me most right now. Um, a very trusted mentor of mine when I was first in AP, he had me read a book by the old San Francisco 49ers coach, Bill Walsh. And the book was called, The Score Will Take Care of Itself. And basically in the nutshell, the book was, was like build a culture focused on honoring people and focusing on best practices and the score of whatever game you're playing will take care of itself. And um, we, we do have, uh, you know, uh, standardized test scores to celebrate, but, um, you know, from a from a creating the kind of school that adults want to work at and kids want to come to, You know, uh, there is much more work to be done for us in those areas, but we're accomplishing more and more in that regard every day. And I would say that, that excites me the most right now. I have, I have an idea, Allison. So are you familiar with Dude Perfect at all?
2: Oh yes, absolutely. Okay,
1: here we go. Okay, cool. (laughs) So, so Dude Perfect, right? I'm sitting at home on my week off whenever that was, it feels like it was a few months ago, but I think it was like a week and a half ago. Um, and I'm sitting at home watching Do Perfect in the afternoon with my kids. And I mean, hilarious, right? And they have this segment called The Wheel The Wheel Unfortunate. And it's this complete spin-off of Wheel of Fortune. And the I don't know, one of the guys dresses up with a 70s haircut and suit and glasses and the whole bit. But the but like the real dude I'm assuming it's real because it's on YouTube. It's got to be real, right?
0: The real
1: uh, the real Dude Perfect guy talks to the character, right? And he spins the wheel and it lands on, you have to own a cat. And so then the next scene is like, they go to the shelter and this guy is literally picking out a cat and then he comes home and his daughter is so excited. And his wife is like, you got a cat, what's up? And yeah, the guys told me I had to get a cat. And she's like, yeah, we couldn't have talked about that first anyway hilarious so my idea is instead of the wheel unfortunate my idea is the wheel so fortunate and I dress up in 70s garb uh my I might have my my trusty uh director of instruction as a, a trusty assistant and we show up unannounced on campus in character and in costume and whether it's an adult or a kid they, we completely interrupt class because I can, and that's the fun part of my job. Um, <laughs> and, you know, uh, somebody at random gets to spin the wheel so fortunate. Um, like what, do you, what do you think?
2: I'm down for it. We'll be guinea pigs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Super cool. So, you know, I mean, Lindsay, just trying to think, trying to think about things like that, that in, in our context has not been as prevalent. And you know, those are the, those are the things that you remember. And those are the things that make you want to come to school, whether you're uh, an adult or a kid. And so we, we want to do more of that.
0: I love that. That idea just came to life on this podcast. So I'm really (laughs) excited to follow up with you and see how this goes.
1: (laughs) I just want to be like the extra dude, perfect person. And I think I'm a little bit past that opportunity. So I'm just trying to find ways to connect with kids. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I love it, Allison. Did you have something to add to? You? I want to make sure you got a chance to. Oh no, he
2: he covered it okay. all. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Uh,
1: so- what about your what about your green circle stuff?
2: Yeah, 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 and you know I've dabbled in restorative practices for a couple of years just through my previous um, position, but um, you know we recently went to a a a relationship learning conference. Oops, my apologies. And um, you know I definitely look forward to implementing some some things like that moving into this year. Uh, I know this is curriculum instruction, however, we know um, instructional needs can't be met until our students' um, relationship needs are met, and so we're really excited to kind of lead that this coming coming up here. We have a, a special plan for our sixth grade class and they're really going to be our, our, our leaders of, of the implementation of relationship-centered learning. And so, um, you know, making sure that we take care of those needs prior to our curriculum instruction needs, I think uh, will be exciting as we navigate this year.
0: That's super exciting to hear. And I I have a background in, in bringing restorative practices to schools as well. And so it's just so critical. I think recently I've been kind of playing around with this framework of curriculum development, like thinking about the stages and it like, it has to be every time I come back to the stage that comes first has to be that foundation, that relationship building, that restorative piece. Like Mm -hmm. we have to have that space before we talk about the pedagogy or, you know, the standards and the rubrics and like all of it is so important, but you just can't get to that final place or even to level two, three, you know, anywhere until you have it. So I really appreciate you naming that. I think for anyone, and maybe this kind of goes into this question I was about to ask. So as a listener of the podcast, if if people are listening, thinking, what do I do with all of this great stuff that we've just talked about? What's the next step that I take to kind of build that momentum? I think people could be at different stages of this. And so feel free to speak to any stage that you think, you know, someone might be in, or if, you know, maybe the first step is identifying the stage and, you know, how would they do that? Um, Feel free to to kind of give some advice here for any listeners about what to do as they kind of hang up the, the AirPods and, and go about their day and try to make some change.
1: I think for for me this coming year as a district leader, the practical first step is to schedule time to do some of the things that we've been talking about. So if you, if you really do want to do a wheel so fortunate, like when are you going to do it? Put it on the calendar, get it done. Um, you know, it, there will always be uh, data to crunch, there will always be compliance reports to put together, uh, there will always be that next email uh, to, to open and take action on. And those things are important in, in, in and of, you know, in the right place at the right time or whatever. But if you don't put it on the calendar to do the things that that bring people joy, like you were saying, and that also bring yourself joy. It's not going to happen. Um, one of the things that we tried last weekend, and we'll try it again this weekend, is as a family taking roughly twenty four hours and putting putting phones and iPads and Google Homes and Xboxes to the side and doing things together that bring us joy. Uh, just just you can you can make it without YouTube for twenty four hours, I promise. Or me, you know, I I can make it without that Instagram hit for 24 hours. Um, and so focusing on what, what brings us joy as a family. And I think in our work, the the same is the case, you know, setting aside some of those other things that are, they might be important, but they're not as urgent as we think they are. And focusing on how can we bring joy to our people and to ourselves, um, whether it's um, we so fortunate or, or just just taking time to notice people and to talk to people and to call them by name and to learn about their families, et cetera.
0: That's so critical. And I think I would argue too, that when you do that for yourself and your family, that energy comes into your workspace too. And it just Mm -hmm. enables you to be better at your job.
2: Absolutely. And then, and then going on that, just kind of making sure that our community is, is built, um, you know, prior to us receiving our kiddos back at school, um, really figuring out how our community is going to reflect our vision and our goals for this year. And so, um, making sure that we have those shared experiences and, um, I want to say that team feeling as, as a unique opportunity for me this year, you know, the two campuses under one leadership. And so just making sure that we have that, that aspect and that trust there that, um, you know, our, our shared experiences are better than our individual experiences.
0: That's brilliant. I love that for, for anyone at, regardless of what stage you are at, right. As a leader in this curriculum development journey, just thinking about how do we create those joyful shared experiences, right. For ourselves and for our kind of culture building that we're doing because you can always use a tune-up right you're not just like oh we did the culture thing now on to curriculum and instruction right like I think it's so important at all stages so that's brilliant um and something that I I think we've been kind of going back and forth between like kind of the personal and professional this episode which I absolutely love and so I'm curious to know personally or professionally what's something you've been learning about lately
1: oh man (laughs) uh personally, I think we've been learning, my wife and I together, and by proxy, our kids, on how to live lives of less hurry, um, how how to be, and I say learning on purpose, because it's hard, but um, learning to be less defined by how busy we think we are, or how many things are on our to-do list, uh, like I mentioned, you know, last weekend, and um, what was funny was at the beginning of that 24 hours, the kids were not happy with us. Uh, and, um, and my wife has been reading a book and, and by proxy, I started reading it, et cetera, uh, about how to do some of this and why to do some of this. And you know, one of my kids was like, so uh, how about we, we make a commitment to read less so that you guys won't read about crazy ideas like this, uh, <laughs> which was pretty funny. Um, but by the, by the end of that day long process, the when we gave them their their devices back they didn't immediately go to them like they checked them whatever but within 15-20 minutes uh they were playing games um you know which was was pretty they weren't doing things that involved the devices and it wasn't just about the devices but uh trying to trying to live a, a life that's less hurried and then I would say professionally like it comes down to scheduling the the times to to bring joy to others or joy to yourself. Like those two things are connected, I think. And so, you know, professionally, how can I be less hurried um, even though the reality is we all have a lot going on.
0: That reminds me of a, I don't know where I heard this, but some sort of advice that I've put into practice. That's like at the end of the day, instead of inventorying the things on your to-do list and what you accomplished or what you didn't, inventory how you're feeling. Like, how do you feel mm-hmm. at the end of the day? And what I've learned personally is that I often feel like rushed and hurried and all the verbs you were saying you're trying to let go of. Right. And it's like, oh, okay. When I take a step back, like if my goal at the end of the day, isn't accomplish all the things it's to feel good, to feel joy, to feel healthy. I, my day looks very different and I still feel productive, but I just feel better too. So mm-hmm. I, I love what you said. And I think that just reminded me of that practice. So Allison, I'll throw it to you. What, what is something you've been learning about?
2: Yeah, so personally, I um, vividly remember a question that uh, Mr. Chapton asked me at the end of the year at my um, end of the year evaluation. He said, what are you doing for yourself? And I said, well, I'll have to think about that. And I couldn't give him an answer. I was doing nothing for myself this summer. And so um, ironically, this summer, it was get my shoulder surgery taken care of. And so I've kind of been out of pocket for a while, but it's allowed me the time to slow down to read my 20 books that I've wanted to read. And um, so personally, what I've been learning is that, you know, it's okay to slow down sometimes and our lives don't have to function um, in a state of hurry, kind of like what you both said. And so um, for me, that that's what I've kind of been challenging myself with.
0: Beautiful. Oh my gosh, this is going to be so good for leaders to hear. And the last thing I'll ask is just where can people learn more about either your district, you individually connect with you, um, just kind of follow the the great things that you're doing?
1: For me, it's uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, C-H-R-I-S underscore C-H-A-P-P-O-T-I-N in both places. I'm not as, I haven't posted as much as I uh, have in the past, but um, some of that is just trying to be less tethered, but in terms of connection, those are great places.
2: Yeah. And then for me, um, I just go on Twitter um, text and math one. Um, and that's, that's where I communicate and, and collaborate with others.
0: Awesome. And we can add those links to, to the show notes that people can, can grab those and follow you guys. Thank you so, so much both of you, Chris and Allison, for being on the podcast. This was inspirational and I feel a more joy just being in community with you both. Thank you.
2: Awesome. Thank you uh,
1: so much for the It was a blast and definitely something that was fun to share with Allison.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Lindsay. If you're leaving
0: this episode wanting more, you're going to love my live coaching intensive curriculum bootcamp. I help one department or grade team create feminist anti-racist curricula that challenges, affirms, and inspires all students. We weave current events into course content and amplify student voices, which skyrockets engagement and academic achievement. It energizes educators feeling burnt out, and it's just two days. Plus, you can reuse the same process anytime you create a new unit, which saves time and money. If you can't wait to bring this to your staff, I'm inviting you to sign up for a 20-minute call with me. Grab a spot on my calendar at www.lindsaybethlyons.com contact. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast
2: Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.